Good morning, basketball fans. Welcome to this week's edition of the Small College Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cottrell. With more than 10 years of NCAA Division I and Division II men's basketball coaching experience, with relationships in college basketball across the nation and across all levels. Every week I work to bring you the only podcast with news, scores, highlights, and insight from men's basketball at the NCAA Division II, NCAA Division III, NAIA, NCCAA, and the USCAA levels. Combined, these levels of college basketball beyond Division I account for nearly 1,200 small colleges and universities across the country. We are here to celebrate their basketball programs, players, coaches, and history together. The Small College Basketball Podcast is a production of smallcollegebasketball.com and founder John McCarthy on a mission to unite all people with a passion for small college basketball. Welcome back, small college basketball fans. Happy holidays. Happy New Year from the team here at Small College Basketball. As we enter 2022, one of the things I'm really grateful for has been the opportunity throughout the last few months, first of all, to work with an incredible team, John McCarthy, Matt Ackenbrandt, Rick Wagner, to spend some time with them in St. Joe's, Missouri, uh, to spend some time talking college basketball with different coaches. It's been an absolute thrill to spend time with the small college basketball team and to host the small college basketball podcast. We've had a number of interviews over the last couple of weeks, speaking to some of the best coaches in small college basketball beyond NCAA Division I and beyond what we see on national TV all over the internet. So happy new year. May it be filled with gratitude, resolutions heading into 2022. We're going to continue the interview portion of the small college basketball podcast for the next few weeks. And today's interview is really exciting. This episode is going to feature once again, the founder of Small College Basketball, John McCarthy. We're going to talk about what we've seen up until this point in the 2021-2022 small college basketball season. So without further ado, let's jump right into this, John. Welcome to the Small College Basketball Podcast. It's a pleasure, as always, to talk some hoop with you. Of course, Chris. It's uh, great to be on with you. And, uh, you know, I just want to throw out to our listeners that I'm just so thrilled at the job that you're doing. You know, frankly, I love listening to the Small College Basketball Podcast with so many great interviews and so many great takes that you I get a good amount of my information, frankly, from listening to you, the coaches you bring on, the information you put out there. This You and I were talking before we got on the podcast today, just the vast amount of information that's out there when we're trying to cover Division two, Division three, NAI, USCA, NCCA, and so many great programs, coaches, players, etc. cetera, uh, that I'm grateful in this season for you and all the great work that you do. So thank you, Chris, and thanks for having me on again. Well, thank you for the kind words, John. Let's jump into it because this is a New Year's episode, but we ended the year probably with the best small college basketball game of the month. If you talk about records, you talk about matchups, you talk about uh, winning streaks, number one, Yeshiva University in NCAA Division Three played host to number four, Illinois Wesleyan, on December 30th. And number four, Illinois Wesleyan, 
got the win. They break Yeshiva University's 50-game winning streak. They get the win, 73-59, behind really big performances from uh, Matthew Laritz, Luke Yoder. So let's talk about your takeaways, first of all, with this Division Three game, probably the biggest game of the month in college basketball for those who aren't looking at just what's on ESP. You know, Yeshiva was on a 50-game winning streak once again dating back to the pandemic-shortened season of 2019-2020. Like, Illinois Wesleyan came in. They were 8-2, and two, number four in the country. So you got two top five teams, non-league, travel, winning streaks. What was your takeaway from this game, John? Because it was an incredible game. So a few th- Number one, this game was good for basketball. It was good for our game, uh, period. Uh, this was probably the most hyped, most talked about, uh, most eyes upon regular season Division Three game in years, many, many years, uh, for so many reasons. You know, Yeshiva has this worldwide following, literally, for eyes from around the world have been watching Yeshiva in this win streak. So my hat is off to Coach Elliot Steinmetz and the entire program at Yeshiva for a 50-game win streak. I mean, you think about 50 consecutive wins spanning three seasons now. Uh, I'm just, my hats are off. So I'm just, first of all, this is good for the game. Sold out crowd, people from around the world literally watching this game. Great for the game of basketball. Uh, My other uh, takeaway, and I've got several of them here, is that I was so impressed with the class of the players and the coaches, Coach Ron Rose at, uh, at Illinois Wesleyan, Coach Elliot Steinmetz, the players. You watch guys go down, get get uh, bumped and banged during the game, and guys on both teams, guys on the other team, uh, they're patting each other on on the on the rear end, and and they're they're competing like crazy, but they're doing it with class. There's pictures being taken with with Ryan Terrell and Illinois Wesleyan players after the game. The guys just handled things with complete class. To me, I'm thinking, this is the epitome of what basketball is supposed to look like. You compete like crazy, and then you're hugging your opponent afterwards, and you're picking them up off, off the floor. And they did it the right way. The crowd and the class of the crowd, the way Yeshiva treated the Illinois Wesleyan and vice versa, first class all around. Now to the game itself. I'll be, I'll be honest. I think Illinois Wesleyan just has better players. Both teams are so, so well coached. Uh, I am so impressed with Coach Elliot Steinmetz, what he's done with the team that he has. I'm so impressed with Ron Rose, what he's done with the team he has. I just think Illinois Wesleyan has better players. They're more battle-tested, if you will, playing better competition uh, for a long period of time. And they have more depth. They're just, they're really good. There's a reason they're number four in the country. They're really, really good. I'm really impressed with what I saw from Matthew Laritz last night. School record, 25 rebounds, 14 points, 25 rebounds, five assists, three steals. Uh, he was terrific, but he wasn't their only player. You know, for those that watch the game, you watch the team really get after it defensively. I mean, they really defended. They really rebounded the ball. Uh, they had five players in double digits. It was 
this is a good team. Luke Yoder does a really nice job running the point. I thought Peter Lambus did a terrific job defensively on Ryan Terrell and also had 13 points and five assists himself. Corey Noak and just he didn't shoot real well for him, but he can just flat out score. And uh, Cody Mitchell, just big and strong inside. Just this is a good team at Illinois Wesleyan. They're just they're really good and they're well coached. The other thing that uh, I think came out of it is the the grit and toughness. We know that uh, Elliot Steinmetz does a really good job. We know that Yeshiva really uses uh, uses the screens and cutting uh, and ball movement really well, and they're they're good. But, you know, hats off to Illinois Wesleyan with the defensive job they did. But here's the other takeaway. Ryan Terrell's legit. I mean, we've seen that all oh, yeah. his whole career. But, you know, he plays within himself. He plays within the team structure uh, very well. Uh, there are times in a game like this, you, you almost wish that he'd, he'd try to take over a little bit more because he's that good. Uh, but playing within himself, playing within the team structure, playing against a team that clearly focused on him uh, and is very, very good. Terrell still shoots over 50%, goes for 22 points, you know, five boards, a couple assists, couple blocks. Again, playing very much within himself in the team structure. Um, he can play. I mean, he can, he can just flat out play. Uh, when you look at doing that against a team that is that good and focuses him on him that much, um, Ryan Terrell's legitimate, but I just want to make one more comment on Ryan Terrell. Literally, the eyes of the world are on Ryan Terrell these days. He's been hyped up, if you will, uh, in Division Three basketball. He's been hyped up um, in, in the Jewish community. He's got a lot of people. And I'll tell you, I, one of the things I am so impressed with is his character, his demeanor, the way he conducts himself as a human being. If you're going to, if you're a young person watching this game, watch Ryan Terrell. There's a player to emulate, not only as a basketball player, but as a human being. I'm so impressed with both as a basketball player and as a human being. There's somebody with character and class. Uh, kudos to Ryan Terrell and his family and his coach uh, for the way that he conducts himself upon him and so much media attention from around this country and around the world and he does it right i'm so impressed i'm blown away and how about the character and the you know uh, the character but also the like the competitive character that we talk about sometimes of these two coaches to make this game happen so, i love so that i love the fact that they're willing to make this game happen after all they went through and we get to this point and and it's like it's the most hyped game in Division Three, probably in, in, in years, like you said. But also, my Twitter timeline, John, yesterday was all Yeshiva and all Illinois Wesleyan. That's all it was, all across Twitter and in my timeline. So kudos to both those coaches for getting this game done. And, and, and I want to throw a quick shout-out to Bob Quillman, who actually – through social media ended up helping to put this game together. Uh, Bob Quillman's an alum of Illinois Wesleyan. Uh, he's a, a voter in uh, the D3 poll, D3 hoops poll. And, uh, and he's a basketball junkie and he's, uh, and, and he lives in Dallas, but he's uh, uh, from the South side of Chicago. 
and uh, and he wanted to see this game happen. So he sent a note to uh, Coach Steinmetz, and uh, uh, Coach Steinmetz says, "Let's you know put Coach Rose in touch with me, and let's uh, let's try to make it happen." So Bob Quillman, who was there last night, came in from Dallas uh, to be there for the game last night. Um, I, I'm just I want to throw a shout out to Bob for putting these two coaches together, which ultimately led to what we saw last night. It's I'll just finish on this topic by saying kudos to Bob Quillman, kudos to both coaches for making it happen. And, and I'll go back to my original comment. Last night was good for basketball. Kudos to everybody involved. 100% agree, John. So let's stick with Division Three. What are two or three storylines that you are really impressed with at the NCAA Division Three level, what stands out to you at the midway point of this season? So let, let's go with, uh, with with three things on the brain. Uh, number one is the one we just talked about. It's uh, it's got to be the the Yeshiva fifty game win streak. I mean that's uh, that's talked about that quite a bit. Uh, but hats off to everybody involved. I mean you think about over the course of three seasons during a pandemic, the game. Second largest win in three history. Uh, congratulations to all involved. I think the other big storyline, and you had him on your uh, on the podcast here uh, not long ago, was uh, Coach Jim Calhoun uh, announcing his retirement. And uh, and I think and that's a big storyline. I mean, Coach Calhoun winning three national titles at UConn, starting the the program at uh, at St. Joseph's, uh, building the program up to all of a sudden a top ten. America in such a short period, uh, you know, by his second season, they're winning the conference conference championship, making the NCAA tournament, navigating things through the pandemic, now uh, proverbially riding off into the sunset. Uh, wonderful. Congratulations to Jim Calhoun. And as you mentioned at the end of the podcast, when you had Coach Calhoun on, you to Coach Calhoun for what he's done for our game and for having, uh, for being humble enough to come to come back to Division Three, and uh, to spend his time and this wasn't a cameo appearance appearance uh, for media mm-hmm. for you know the press conference for games or to just start the program. He did this for several years and built this into a top ten program quickly. So I think that's a huge storyline. And the other, I, I would say somewhat um, vaguely, is the depth of up this year uh, this year in terms of years point and say hey there's a team or there's three or five teams uh, this year I don't know what that number is this year but it's not three whether it's 10 or 15 or 20 teams that could win it all up remarkable in division three I mean we've talked you know at great length now about yeshiva and, uh, and Illinois Wesleyan, of course, but uh, but there's so many more. I mean, Randolph Macon, you know, is a prohibitive favorite, if you will. I don't know about prohibitive, but the favorite coming into this season, and uh, and they've had a terrific year. They only got one loss. They've been pretty dominating uh, this season. Wisconsin Platteville, what a great job they're doing. Wisconsin Oshkosh uh, is is loaded and dominating. Uh, teams. Wheaton's having a terrific year. We've talked about, mentioned St. Joseph. They're undefeated at this point as well. Marietta's having a heck of a year. Wisconsin Lacrosse, Wisconsin Stout, Roanoke, Johns Hopkins, Christopher Newport. Heck, they're the ones who uh, knocked off Randolph Macon in overtime and uh, Elmhurst and Whitworth. And heck, Washington U just beat uh, 
uh, beat that Illinois Wesleyan team we saw that was so darn good. Swarthmore's tough. Williams is tough. Mary Harden Baylor, don't forget about them. They've only got one lost, one again last night to go two and zero in Vegas, and they're nine and one now. There's just on and on. We can probably run right down the top twenty-five and say any of these teams have a legitimate chance in the top twenty-five to win it. So to me, the other storyline is the incredible depth at the top of Division Three. Uh, folks, if you haven't watched Division Three basketball, watch the top of Division Three this year. This is good basketball at the top of Division Three this year. And I love your comment, John, on the depth of Division Three because as we transition to NCAA Division Two, I think we're seeing the same thing. The depth of NCAA Division Two basketball has been remarkable. Um, at the top, we have Lubbock Christian, number one in the country. Of course, Northwest Missouri State, number two. West Texas A&M is number three. Mercyhurst, number four. The top, those top four, pretty much what we've come to expect over the, the course of the last year. But I want to get your take because we normally see Northwest Missouri State at the top. How good is Lubbock Christian? They're number one in the country. They're 12-0. and 0. They're first place in the Lone Star Conference, just ahead of West Texas A&M. And they're beating their opponents by 21 points per game, John. Yeah, so I've watched uh, Lubbock Christian. And here's the, the, the first things that, that came to mind or what the first things that I thought about when I watched and watched them for a whole game and plan on watching them quite a bit more. Uh, I thought they really defended. They really play hard. They play really well together. And they share the ball really well on offense. So uh, this is a good team, obviously, as you you shared the numbers. You know, as we talk here um, at the moment, uh, I believe they are, uh, they're obviously they're undefeated, number one in the country. But, but here's something else to note. Uh, Lubbock Christian was really good a year ago. To, uh, the other couple notes on, on Lubbock Christian is Parker Hicks is really good. Uh, people yes. forget sometimes yes. that, you know, West Texas A&M got so much attention because they've been, you know, so good under Coach Tom Brown. Uh, five Americans, Quay Grant and uh, Joel Murray last year, uh, who were fantastic, easily among uh, the very top players in the country. But Parker Hicks was the player of the year in a Lone Star last year. Uh, let's not overlook somebody that's that good. But this is a balanced team. Lloyd Daniels, Amir Muhammad, and Rowan McKenzie on the perimeter, they're good. They're good offensively. They're good defensively. They share the ball. And they got a freshman, uh, uh, Jalen Bratton, that's just really active, really tough. Uh, this is a good team. Uh, it's not – I'll say this. It is – the numbers you've read off are not an accident. They were really good last year. They're really good this year. Uh, they've earned their spot at the top, being undefeated and uh, and, and, and somewhat dominating uh, thus far this year. We'll see how it plays out as they roll through the, the Lone Star Conference. But I'll say this. They're good. It's not an accident uh, what they've done thus far. They can play. They're very well coached. Uh, and this is a really good team. So they're fun to watch. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I mean, you talk about them defensively and offensively. Parker Hicks, 17 Hicks. points per game, eight rebounds per game. They're, shoot, they're, they're shooting 53% from the field, and they're holding their opponents to 37%. So I think Lubbock Christian is for real. I'm interested to, to track them through the Lone Star Conference. What else intrigues you, John? What other teams are you watching in NCAA Division II? Well, of course, we've mentioned uh, West Texas A&M. We've mentioned uh, Northwest Missouri State. Who else are you watching in, in Division II? You know, there's, um, 
it, it's hard to have have a conversation about watching some other really good teams in Northwest Missouri State. Um, I feel like we mentioned them an awful lot, but when you win three national titles in four years and uh, uh, and you have Trevor Hudgens on your team, it's hard not to talk about them. Um, Tr- Trevor Hudgens is has really turned it on uh, the last few games and is really playing well, the defending player of the year in the country. Uh, I mean, you've seen him up close. You've seen him uh, play uh, an awful lot. He's the real deal. And uh, But in addition to Trevor, this is such a disciplined, uh, well-coached team. I will say it's a different team without Ryan Hawkins. Uh, they're just simply different. That that doesn't mean anything other than they're, they're different because uh, was very legitimate. Six seven could shoot the heck out of it. Uh, with his departure to Creighton, who, by the way, is uh, he's having a phenomenal year at Creighton. I might add, Ryan Hawkins. Yes. Is. But but Northwest Missouri State uh, is clearly uh, in the hunt for the national title once again this year. But in addition to them, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of this segment, talking about Division Two, it's wide open. I mean, Lubbock Christian and Northwest Missouri State, you know, at the moment are are one two very deservingly it they're legit but i'd also say and i think you'd probably agree it's wide open uh, other yes. than that i'm watching teams like nova southeastern i've watched quite a bit the combination of both their their talent their style is different than others their depth uh their size their co- their their coaching uh nova southeastern's in the discussion certainly uh, teams like west texas a&m uh remarkable what tom brown's done especially in uh, such good players off of last year's team. They're back at it right, ag- right again. Uh, West Liberty, don't forget about them. Uh, their style, their depth uh, is really good. I know you had a great uh, great conversation uh, with, with Mercyhurst here recently. And uh, Mercyhurst defensively is so good. I know they dropped one recently, but that's dropped one this season. <laughs> uh, Mercyhurst is really good. Uh, you know, their, their, their defense is talked about a lot and deservedly. So it's, it's legitimately that good, but offensively, they're pretty darn good too. Uh, teams, it's teams like Augustana are really tough. Embry Riddle's only got one loss this year and played some darn good teams and their, their losses on a last second buzzer beater to Flagler, who's in the elite eight last year. And by the way, don't sleep on Flagler. I know they lost two relatively early this year but they've still only lost two this year and uh, they're starting to pick up good steam. Now uh, flag goes awfully, awfully good. IUP lost their leading scorer, but Armani Foster's there. Joe Lombardi does a phenomenal job at IUP. They're awfully darn good. How about Queens? I mean, we always talk, talk about what Queen, Queens, as long as Bart Lundy's there uh, for the most part, they're going to be awfully darn good uh, there. But here's a few that I want to throw out there that, you know, frankly, and I'm almost afraid to admit this, I haven't seen these teams this year in person uh, that I'm anxious to watch because they've done a heck of a job is Chico State, Cal State San Marcos, Cal State Dominguez, Minnesota Duluth. I actually saw in person uh, at Municipal Auditorium in Kansas City. Uh, they get after it now. They defend. They come at you. They're, they're good. The Peacocks can play. So I, I think it's wide open uh, for Division Two. And it's very good at the top. You know, the other one that we, you know, we we talked about in the past, and I know you brought up on a previous podcast uh, when you're talking with Wayne Cavati, is the job that um, uh, that has been done at Lincoln Memorial after Josh has left is incredible. What they've done at Lincoln Memorial and West Texas A&M, uh, you look at what they lost 
coming into this season thinking, hey, the last decade they've been traditional powers, if you will. But, hey, this is the year they're going to be down. Maybe you have a coaching loss and some of the top players in Lincoln Memorial depart. Uh, they may struggle. And, gosh darn it, congratulations uh, uh, to the job that's been done at Lincoln Memorial. Congratulations to the job that's been done at West Texas A&M after losing such terrific players to, I, want to, I don't even want to say bounce back, to continue on uh, what, they've, what they've done is remarkable given the circumstance. So uh, that's my take on Division Two at the moment. Uh, towards the top, but don't forget about teams like St. Thomas Aquinas and Damon. Even uh, yeah. th- those teams can play up in the north in the Northeast. So it's wide open, and uh, I'm, I'm really anxious to watch teams like Chico State, San Marcos, Dominguez, Duluth, Upper Iowa, uh, a little bit further, and, uh, and study them more because they're off to a terrific start for for themselves as well. So this is wide open. It's going to be great to watch. John, I have two comments on Division Two. First, I want to follow up. Uh, your comment regarding Lincoln Memorial and the job that Jeremiah Samaripas has done, just incredible, uh, incredible leadership to bring Lincoln Memorial uh, to where they are and continue the progress that's been made over their, over Josh's tenure to continue what they're doing this year. Uh, kudos to Jerem. He's doing a great job. And one tidbit for our listeners that I want everyone to realize, we talked about Nova Southeastern, number three in the country. They're very good, well-coached unique style, Chico State, Cal State, San Bernardino, Indiana, PA, although they lost Shondale Jones, they are, they are still 9-1. Uh, and one. Cal State, San Marcos, you mentioned, Embry-Riddle is very good. Those teams, those six teams, John, and for the listeners, did not have a season last year. They did not have a season, and now we've got six teams who didn't play in 20 20- – uh, 20, 2021, they're all in the top 25. And I think that's a remarkable statistic, uh, a little tidbit of information there for the listeners. Great tidbit right there. And, 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 and I echo what Jeremiah has done at uh, Link Memorial, just so, so impressive. So two, two great tidbits right there. Good stuff. And talk about tidbits. The NAIA has plenty of tidbits. You look at the top 25 coaches poll right now uh, at the very top, the top five teams are 64-1. and one. Loyola out of New Orleans, Carroll out of Montana, Talladega in Alabama, Oklahoma Wesleyan, and William Penn combined 64-1 and one at the top of the NAIA Top 25 Coaches Poll. I am excited to announce I have an interview with Coach Donnie Bostwick from Oklahoma Wesleyan. That is set to be our next episode. So really excited Uh, to have Coach Bostwick on from Oklahoma Wesleyan. But let's turn our attention, John, to Loyola out of New Orleans. They're number one in the country. They've got four players averaging double digits, 90 points per game. How good is Loyola? Really good. Uh, Coach Stacey Hollowell does a terrific uh, job at Loyola, and he's done it for years. Now, Loyola was in the, I believe, the final eight last year in the country in the NAI tournament. Uh, Miles Burns and Zach Wrightsell have been playing together for years at, uh, at Loyola, and uh, kudos to them for coming back uh, for, for their senior season and continuing this. Zach Wrightsell's about 6'7", with a great body, uh, runs the point, and uh, a big, strong point guard who's just really good. 
such a freak athlete who plays with incredible intensity. A lot of great athletes out there, but Miles Burns gets after it defensively uh, and can just flat out play. Zach and Miles are truly two of the very best uh, in all of the NAI in the country. And uh, but that's not it. You know, when you watch them, you realize they're really good. But Brandon uh, Davis and Andrew Fava, you mentioned about uh, about four guys averaging double digits. So the other two, you know, Davis averages 15 a game. Uh, he's a 6'1 sophomore. Fava is a 5'10 senior. Man, he can shoot the heck out of it. Uh, so this is a good team. The challenge, you know, you're not able to key on one guy. You can say, hey, you know, we're going to key on Zach or Miles uh, or try to key on both of them in a the game. But Fava can shoot the heck out of the ball and from deep. Brandon Davis will hurt you as well. Terrific guard himself. So uh, this is a really good team. You know, they, they played University of New Orleans Division One team and beat the heck out of them uh, as well. Uh, Loyola, this, I'll say this. They've played a good schedule. When I looked at the beginning of the season, uh, I, I know Stacy pretty well, Stacy Hollowell. And I'm looking at the schedule thinking, this is a good schedule. You're playing uh, relatively early. You're playing Xavier and Dillard and LSU Shreveport. Um, you're, you're playing LSU Alexandria, uh, USAO out of uh, Oklahoma, uh, William Carey, uh, Shreveport again. I mean, this is this is good basketball that they're playing, and they just keep finding a way to get get W's and in most cases in dominating fashion. So uh, this is a good team, really athletic as well as being re- really well coached. Uh, and like I mentioned, it's tough to key on one or two guys because they have uh, multiple threats on this team. Good team. Enjoy Fun to watch. Yeah, absolutely. I would echo that sentiment. Looking uh, to have Coach Stacy Hallowell on. We have been in discussions about getting him his interview. So a lot of good interviews coming up in the future for small college basketball and for our podcast. But as a follow-up, you know, we've three, the depth of Division three, the depth of NCAA Division two. The talent level and the coaching at NAIA is just as good. It is elite. There are so many talented players, talented coaches. Mention some of the teams and coaches and players you're watching at NAIA, John, because I feel like we have to continue to educate the listeners on how good all small college basketball levels are. I I appreciate this question and being able to, uh, uh, to speak about multiple programs. So I'll try to do this relatively succinctly, which is tough for me, as you know, because <laughs> I get excited about this stuff. But, uh, you know, we can often talk about the, the name programs and, and name because they've earned it because of their tradition. Teams like Georgetown and Pikeville and Oklahoma City and Indiana Wesleyan and, and more recently in LSU Shreveport, LSU Alexandria, William Penn, Arizona Christian, that are once again having a having terrific season, doing a good job. Uh, but I'd also like to make sure we recognize those that are having terrific seasons this year or in the past uh, few years. Teams like Carroll, Talladega, what a terrific start they're off to. Oklahoma Wesley, and I'm so glad that uh, uh, you're going to have Donnie Bostwick on. What a great job as a note. Donnie Bostwick, for the listeners, was an Oklahoma Wesleyan, helped lead them to a national championship when there was two divisions of NAI, won the NAI Division II National Championship and had a uh, lengthy win streak that spanned two seasons. Uh, I'll be off on the number, but won something like 48 in a row at Oklahoma Wesleyan, then leaves to go to Sagu, turns Sagu into a national powerhouse, uh, leads them uh, to becoming one of the top programs in all of the NAI, and then comes back 
uh, to Oklahoma Wesleyan. And now, as you can see, all of a sudden, Oklahoma Wesleyan is 15-0, and 0, top five in the country. Uh, once again, when NAI is now combined back into one division. So I'm so glad that you've got Donnie coming on. Does a terrific job there. Uh, I'd also like to mention teams like Sagu, uh, who now sits at number six in the country. They've maintained it even after uh, Coach Boswick has left. What a terrific program. They were Final Four program in the country last year, and here they are again. Even though they had one of their top players injured last year, now he's back. Uh, they're certainly in the hunt for a national title. I've enjoyed watching Grace this year. I've watched Grace uh, yes. multiple times, three or four times. Well coached team. Boy, they're they're good. And now they're getting another player or two back. Frankie Davidson's been the story there. Uh, but, uh, boy, Elijah Malone's a low down low. Six, nine, huge body, uh, big and strong. Uh, but but they're good. They're deep. They're well coached. I've enjoyed them. And and then how about the job Coach Jeff Sherman's doing at Central Methodist? Uh, some some people uh, may may have overshadowed them a little bit. All of a sudden, uh, Central Methodist, a top twenty team in the country, has two a couple of terrific players. How about Lewis Clark State plays in the national championship this year? But a lot of people may have written them off because you know a couple two or three of their very top players uh, who are terrific. I might add were seniors last year, didn't come back for the COVID year. And so you lose two or three of your top players. And, and, and all of a sudden, Lewis Clark State's top 20 in the country only has one loss again. How about, uh, how about Southeastern in Florida, who actually knocked off Grace? Uh, what, what a terrific job they've done there. And boy, the story there is Riley Minix, uh, six, seven junior, terrific player. Riley Minix is, uh, so, uh, I'm so impressed with teams like Talladega and Carroll, Oklahoma Wesleyan, Sagu, Grace, William Jessup. Uh, I know they just uh, canceled a game or two here recently, but William Jessup, I believe they knocked off Indiana Wesleyan uh, not long ago or had a, a couple of really big wins. All of a sudden they're, they're a top 10 team in the country at the moment. So uh, I just I like to mention, in addition to those traditional powers of Georgetown, Pikeville, Oklahoma City, Indiana Wesleyan, uh, et cetera, some of the teams are having a great season this year. So kudos to those programs, those players, those coaches for the great seasons they're having so far this year. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the level of basketball, the NAIA, is, is, is very, very high. It's very, very deep. Again, like we're seeing, I think with a lot with, with a lot of players taking advantage of the COVID year, the depth across college basketball, even at Division One, is really strong. Uh, there's a lot of parity, a lot of good games so far, a lot of upsets, a lot of uh, just a lot of parity across college basketball with that COVID year for all levels. You mentioned some of the best players at NAIA and across small college basketball, John. Before we get to the Bevo Francis Award and that watch list, who are some of your top players as of this point in the season? Well, Ryan Terrell and Trevor Hudgens. We'll start there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Ryan Terrell, uh, we've known about for years from Yeshiva. Um, and, and I think his maturity has been really enjoyable to watch. Um, I, He's, he's legitimate. He's, he's the real deal. Trevor Hudgens, of course, Division II uh, reigning player of the year, uh, who's back having a terrific season this year. I, I think we start right there. Division three, Ryan Terrell, and Division two with Trevor Hudgens. And, and I want to throw the, the butt. Those two are absolutely legitimate, deserve to be talked about. Uh, they're at the, the, the very top uh, of their respective divisions. However, there are many other terrific players 
And just to throw out a few of the names, people like Levi Borchert at uh, Wisconsin Oshkosh in Division Three, And uh, how about Buzz Anthony and uh, Miles Mallory at, at, at Randolph-Macon? Uh, you know, when you talk about – we've talked about Northwest Missouri State an awful lot and Trevor Hudgens a lot, but, you know, you've seen in person the West Dreamer and Diego Bernard. Uh, are, 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 they're really, so they're good. really good college basketball players. How, how about the numbers that Trey Buchanan's putting up at Emporia State, averaging 26 a game at Emporia State? They've only lost three games this year. I mentioned Miles Burns and uh, um, at Loyola – uh, he's he's terrific, but then then you go, you know, beyond that, you've got uh, you know Parker Hicks we mentioned already down at uh, Lubbock Christian is is terrific. I like Kenny Dye at Queens. His numbers are yes. good, not great, but what a leader, what a winner. The guy wins everywhere he goes. Uh, he's tough. Jordan Guest is really good at Lincoln Memorial, but Chase Rankin's having a great year at Lincoln Memorial. Uh, I don't want to say came from out of nowhere, but may have been overshadowed with some others last year. He's terrific. Armani Foster, of course, at IUP. Um, he, here's a couple names in the NAI that sometimes people don't talk about in terms of big guys. Alex Gross at Olivet Nazarene is just a joy to watch because he understands how to play this game. He could have a game where he has 10 points, uh, but completely dominate the game where he may have 15 rebounds, six blocks, six assists, four steals. Uh, he just understands how to play such a terrific passing big man who has great hands finishes. And, um, and Seth Maxwell's legitimate at uh, seven footer at Indiana Wesleyan. Uh, senior, we'll see whether he comes back for his COVID year. The uh, he really has another year because of that. Uh, but he's really, really good. He's a high level pro- professional, uh, on the cusp of NBA professional. Um, but uh, he's really good. Just you know, example last night they uh, they won last night. He only played uh, 16 minutes, had 25 points uh, last night. I believe he missed a total of three shots for the game. Uh, he's really, really good player. Riley Minix, I mentioned, at Southeastern Florida is really, really good player. I like Jack Nolan at Washington U. He can just flat out shoot the ball. Uh, he was considering transferring after uh, uh, last year with the COVID year. Eventually decided to come back uh, at Washington U. A uh, couple, couple others just to, to bring up that are really Really good players. Pat Robinson does a really good job uh, at West Liberty. Uh, you know, he's just he's just really good. But but also at um, at West Liberty, he's not the only guy. They've got um, uh, they've got a really deep team at West Liberty. Um, but but Pat Pat's really really a nice point guard uh, for for them. But there's the, there's one, a couple guys I, I want to throw a couple additional names to you and, and then we'll uh, we'll move on but Andrew Schist goes back at Damon he's been good for years he's just so darn fundamentally sound 69 big strong uh, player really nice player and then the one that I have a hard time pronouncing his darn name still is Jovan Slivakanen at uh, at Carroll and I know I butchered it but man he is tough 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 65 inside outside uh, and, and then when we work our way to, uh, to Nova Southeastern, we've talked about and the story there has been Sekou Silla at uh, six four six five, athletic, strong, tough. Uh, but then there's RJ Sunahara, who was injured early in the season, who's come back now and been terrific. I like Nick Smith at, uh, at the guard. Jared Vitsum at Fort Hayes State. Mason Walters at Jamestown, 6'9", big guy who's, uh, who's tough. Um, this is this is fun when you start talking about the top, <laughs> top players because there's so many 
that are that are so good and we could probably spend uh you know hours on uh, on, on the topic of of top players uh in small college basketball oh i, I i'd be remiss if i mentioned one of the very best in division two is jason lottie at flagler man he's good he's really really good and and it's fun to watch jason lottie because he plays both ends of the court so well but he's smooth he can score he can pass um He's a high-level professional, Jacek Lottie is, and he's on the cusp of an NAI, I'm sorry, an NBA-type professional. Um, he's really, really good and a joy to watch. So, again, so, so many more. Kevion Blaylock at William Penn we've been talking about for years. Uh, Nick Bowman, I really like it, trying. Uh, he, he can flat-out score. So I can go on and on with this topic for a long time, but uh, there's my take on some of the top ones, but there are many, many more. And, John, we're going to hear about quite a few more of the top players in small college basketball. As you recently announced, the initial list uh, for the Bevo Francis Award uh, would be announced on January 15th, so only about 10 days away. That list will get narrowed down throughout the remainder of the season until April 4th when the Bevo Francis Award is presented to the small college basketball player who has had the finest overall season. Essentially, this award goes to the Small College Basketball Player of the Year. Talk about that award briefly, John, and the criteria for what we consider to be the finest overall season. Yeah, I'm, I'm, again, thanks for giving me a moment to talk about this because I think sometimes this may get a little uh, confusing uh, to, to people. And so the awards start, this will be the sixth year. Uh, the Bevo Francis Award. And as you mentioned, from a criteria standpoint, about this season, I missed overall season. And certainly individual achievement awards, and ultimately we'll look at personal character as well. But this, that people sometimes is this is also uh, team uh, success has a lot to do with this. Uh, and so in and, and the re in spending a little bit of time, I had a real good fortune of spending a bit of time with Bevo uh, himself before he passed away. And I still spend a lot of time with the folks at Rio Grande in particular, uh, their athletic director, Jeff Lanham, uh, university of Rio Grande helped sponsor this award uh, through Jeff Lanham and their president, Ryan Smith at Rio Grande team success was a real big deal to Bevo. His his teammates were really important. Succeeding on the court as a team was really important to him. So we take team success very much into consideration uh, for this award. And and I just just for the sake of this, I I want to um, to just read off very quickly the five winners that we had. And by the way, this would make a heck of a team. I might I might add. Uh, the inaugural winner was uh, Dominez Burnett uh, from uh, from Davenport in uh, in Michigan, and what a two-time NAIA Division II National Player of the Year. Then we had Justin Pitts. We've had Emmanuel Terry, Justin Pitts, from Northwest Missouri State, who was Division II Player of the Year. Uh, we've had Emmanuel Terry, who you're very familiar with from Lincoln Memorial, uh, who's having a tremendous professional career. And then we had Aston Francis from Wheaton. Wow, what a player, what a scorer, what a winner, what a great young man. Uh, but then we've also, um, we, we've also had last year was Kyle Mangus. Well, technically 2020 was Kyle Mangus from Indiana Wesleyan. Right. What a career. Truly one of the all-time NAIA greats 
And I might add, one of the all-time NAIA greats as a player and as a human being. What a great person. What a great family. Uh, so we've had some terrific players and people uh, that have won the Bevo Francis Award. So those are the, the criteria. We will put out the watch list of 100 players on the, uh, the 15th. We will then narrow it to 50 players on the 15th of February. On March 15th, we will announce uh, we will move it down to 25 players. And then at halftime, uh, I'm sorry, in between games of the final four on uh, on that Saturday, the NCAA Division One final four, we will put out the video of the finalists for the 2022 Bevo Francis Award. And then at halftime of the national championship game in NCAA Division One, we'll put out the video to announce the winner of the Bevo Francis Award. The award will then be presented at the celebration of the game event in the National Awards Show in Kansas City on Saturday, April 16th. We'll have the, uh, the award winner there. We'll be able to present it in person. So we are uh, absolutely thrilled uh, to bring it back after a one-year hiatus, if you will, due to the pandemic last year. And uh, we're thrilled to bring that award back. And, uh, and so I, I just want to emphasize to people that it is an individual award, but team success is a great part of that. For those that are listening to this, coaches, fans, et cetera, please email information to us. We have a committee that will help guide us through this. Uh, this process with the top players based on our criteria, but feel free and please do send me a personal note on Twitter at SM college hoops or to uh, Bevo Francis award at gmail.com. That's Bevo Francis award at gmail.com. Send detailed information about the top players and why they should be considered for the Bevo France award. So thank you so much for the, the opportunity to talk about that. It's, it's uh, really become a highlight for us. And, and one quick little tidbit, I noticed something this summer that I was just thrilled about with this award. Uh, Jeff Lanham and I have spent a lot of time creating this award and, and it's become so prominent that this summer I noticed somebody had created a Wikipedia page for the Bevo Francis award. So I'm thrilled uh, that that was done. It's become enough that a wikipedia page has now been created for the award that is great stuff and as we talk about announcements and big things coming up for small college basketball i want to give you a moment john to talk about two separate announcements that have been made recently both very exciting uh we're looking at the small college basketball hall of fame classic uh, it's been moved to Lakeland, Florida for 2022, will be played on the campus of Florida Southern College. Talk about that event, uh, the, the change to Lakeland and the participating teams coming up next fall. Yeah, so what a thrill this has been. We've, uh, we work with the Polk County Tourism and Sports Marketing Group, as well as Florida Southern College, uh, to move the Hall of Fame Classic uh, to Lakeland. So that'll be from year 22, 23, and 24. Our initial agreement is, uh, is for three years uh, with both. It's a three-way agreement between small college basketball, the Polk County folks, and Florida Southern. We will be playing on the campus of Florida Southern, a beautiful campus rated uh, uh, number one most beautiful campus by the Princeton Review for the last couple years. And we will also be expanding the field uh, to 10 teams. The inaugural year, we had six teams, which you were there with Lincoln Memorial at that time. Yes. Uh, we expanded then to eight teams for each year thereafter. And now we will expand to 10 teams. And we also, during that press conference, 
announce the teams themselves. Once we realize we're able to get the agreement in place, uh, we move quickly to, uh, to the teams. Each team I contacted said yes very quickly, and I realized that we can get the matchups done and contracts done. Uh, we did it very quickly before the announcement to get contracts signed. And uh, so the following teams, in no particular order, uh, will be participating, and that's Hillsdale, Dallas Baptist, Nova Southeastern, Alabama Huntsville, uh, Minnesota State Moorhead, Valdosta State, Flagler, Florida Southern, obviously, uh, Queens, and Northwest Missouri State. And so for those that have been following Division II basketball, and I know, by the way, we just spoke a little bit ago about you know top teams that uh, I've been following and, and close and so on. Uh, obviously, I've been following the teams quite closely that we know are going to be playing uh, next year in our uh, our tip-off classic in Lakeland, Florida, uh, and, and several of those teams I didn't mention previously. I, I guess I knew I was going to have the opportunity to speak about them uh, here, but very briefly, we've already talked about uh, Northwest Missouri State uh, and Flagler and Nova Southeastern uh, in a little bit of, uh, but I just want to throw out, even those teams are playing for the tip-off next year. We're thrilled to have them. They're obviously some of the better teams in the country. But even this year, uh, make sure you keep your eye on the Hillsdale of the world, the Alabama Huntsville's of the world, uh, the Queens of the world, uh, Valdosta States of the world. These these teams are good. They're good this year. I expect them to be very good next year. Uh, each of those teams I mentioned just now, Hillsdale, Alabama, Huntsville, Valdosta State, uh, Queens, Flagler, they're really well teams uh, that are in the hunt this year and expect to be really good next year. So we're thrilled to move to Lakeland, obviously. Uh, when I told the coaches that we're moving to, to Lakeland, Florida, they you know, said, sign me up. We're in. Uh, let's go. They're excited about coming to Florida, excited about the venue, excited about coming to Florida during that, uh, that time of the year, and frankly, excited about the the caliber of teams that we have worth real. You were there this year and, uh, and, and saw a tremendous caliber of teams. Uh, we expect it to see again next year for any basketball junkies out there. man, that's the place to be next November 5th and 6th in Lakeland, Florida. You want to watch great basketball, 10 games in two days. If you're a basketball junkie, great place to be next year. You want to talk about high level of play? John, my wife sat through all those games. She made it to every game. And she came away, and, and her takeaway was, I could do this every year. This is a lot. This is real. These teams are really good. And I said, Yeah, they are. They are really good. So she, you know, she's, uh, she likes basketball, but she loved watching that high level uh, of competition over uh, the weekend in, in St. Joe's. So, last question, John, I appreciate your time so much today. We, we've had a blast talking small college basketball. The second major announcement you made is now starting to pick up some steam from what I'm seeing on Twitter uh, and across social media is the small college basketball capital project. Talk about that and explain that to the listeners, if you would. Sure. This is uh, we started uh, the foundation, our 501c3 nonprofit arm of small college basketball, uh, which is the small college basketball foundation. Uh, we made the announcement uh, on November 4th at the Hall of Fame induction uh, that we are launching a $1.3 million capital campaign uh, for multiple initiatives, uh, primarily 
those initiatives include building the physical tribute to small college basketball. Uh, I've got a multi-year agreement with the former Kemper Arena in Kansas City is now the High V Arena. Uh, we're going to build, and that's going to be several hundred thousand dollars uh, to build that. And then obviously we're going to need to keep it up each year. It's going to be a wonderful tribute with touchscreens and sound sound domes and lighting. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic tribute that is going to be very much technological. Uh, and we're thrilled with to do that. We're also working on a, uh, a documentary on the history of college basketball focused specifically at the small college level. It's going to be a major project that's going to take quite a bit of time, uh, but I've already uh, hired Rick Wagner to help um, help build this out in terms of the documentary. He has experience in that uh, that realm, and we are well underway. We've already interviewed over 30 people. We've got a good amount of video footage already uh, with much more to come uh, in the future. And then we're looking to launch a couple, another event. We're looking to launch uh, another couple national awards and ultimately looking to stabilize financially small college basketball for the long haul. So we're in the midst of a $1.3 million capital campaign. Uh, I will tell you that I've been thrilled uh, with the support we've had thus far. Uh, we've had uh, one for coach that has already contributed uh, over 200000 uh, between him and his had uh, multiple others that have contributed uh, five figures already to this campaign. Obviously, we're seeking co uh, corporate support. We're seeking uh, individual support. Uh, it depends on how you'd uh, look at it, whether it's a large number, $1.3 million uh, or not. But we need to get to that number so that we can sustain small college basketball for the long haul. And frankly, at the end of the day, as I've told others, uh, this is a platform for you as coaches, for you as players, for you as, uh, as fans. We're here to tell the stories, preserve the history of the game, and leave a legacy for college basketball. The intent is that this lives well on beyond John McCarthy, that I'm able to pass this on uh, to somebody else or others or another entity uh, moving forward. Uh, this is not about, this is about the game itself and to be able to preserve our history, tell our stories, preserve our history, and leave a legacy. And uh, for those that are listening, I can tell you, we need the support to make this, uh, to keep this going for the long haul. Uh, we've, we've got it going the first six years quite well. Uh, we've continued to grow the entity of small college basketball in due time. I'd like to move everything underneath the umbrella of the foundation. But frankly, to be blunt, we just simply need to raise the money to make that happen. And uh, we could certainly use the support. This is obviously a passion project. Uh, I have another full-time job. This is a passion. And uh, the support of the, the listeners, the support of our coaches and our and corporate America would be incredibly appreciated. Continue to do great things for the game of basketball. Well, John, your passion comes through uh, during this entire interview, as well as in previous interviews. And I want to acknowledge you for all you're doing for small college basketball once again. But today has been a thrill. Today has been a pleasure. And we have a series of interviews coming down the line with coaches from across the uh, different levels of small college basketball. So I would encourage you to check in on those, all our listeners, to keep up with those. Our listeners can, can find you and contact you if need be or contact me via social media. Contribute to the capital campaign and support college, small college basketball. Uh, John McCarthy, thank you. Happy New Year. Uh, looking forward to doing this again very soon.
Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this week's Small College Basketball Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to like and subscribe for weekly episodes and interviews devoted to the incredible programs, players, coaches, and history of small college basketball. Please leave a review if you enjoyed listening to this episode and use the links attached to this episode to share the Small College Basketball Podcast. The Small College Basketball Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast episodes. You can follow the Small College Basketball Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Please visit our website, www.smallcollegebasketball.com.